Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm your I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, September 4th, 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. We are in Chapter 6, entitled Into Action. We're on page 73, the second full paragraph, beginning with The Inconsistency is Made Worse. And today's readers are Michelle, Fran, Sharon, and Sally. The share ID number for Tuesday, September 3rd, is 5082. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting to our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Leah. The 12 Steps. 1. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. 2. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 3. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. 4 made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry... Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you. I will now call on Margaret to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Margaret recovering South Jersey. Number one, our commonwealth first should come first. Personal recovery depends upon our unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership (laughs) is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, overeaters anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name will never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 6, Into Action. We are on page 73, the second full paragraph on the page, beginning with, The inconsistency is made worse. And I will ask Michelle to begin reading, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vision for You. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he has revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. And so, um, yes, we're in Chapter 6, Into Action. And um, on the first page it says that 
you know, we're talking about step five and that this requires action on our part, which when when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, step three, step four, to ourselves, we've taken that inventory, and now to another human being, the exact nature of our defects. And um, so here we're talking about the inconsistency, and the inconsistency was described partly in that paragraph just previous, where it talks about I've been an um, a stage character, that I've been presenting to the world the character that I want others to see. And um, I want that, that good reputation. And But deep down, I'm remembering in this, this inconsistency, the second part, um, the things that I've done when I've been under the influence of my substance, it's alcohol in this book. And for me, it's my you know, ingredients that trigger me to get into my disease where I'm eating compulsively. And I do things that causes harm to other people. And that threatens that my idea, that stage character, that I have this good reputation. And so deep down in my heart, I know I don't deserve it because of these these other actions that I've that I've pushed down, these memories that I don't want to think about and I hope that no one's ever seen. Um, and so that does, that creates this tension, this fear tension that I know as that restlessness, that irritability, that discontentment with myself, which always led me to pick up so that I could quiet that fear and that tension. And that brings on more insanity, more inconsistency, more pain. Um, and so they're telling me, uh, they're building onto this, why it's so important that I reveal these things, that I be honest, that I tell the whole story. Um, because if I don't, I'm going to continue to repeat this pattern of this fear and tension, this inconsistency, you know, wanting to be the person that God wants me to be, wanting to um, live up to uh, a good reputation, um, but always falling short because of the disease, because of the fear and the tension, and, and not having the spiritual remedy, um, which these steps are requiring. But if I would just get honest, if I would just take um, the directions and the advice that they're giving here, they're telling me that this is what's going to continue to happen, more and more insanity, uh, more and more staying in the disease. And what's required of me is to tell the whole picture, to be completely honest and um, to, to get humble. Um, you know, it, it says uh, at the top of the page that I had only thought that I had lost my egoism and fear, and I had only thought that I had humbled myself. Um, but I had not yet learned enough humility, fearlessness, and honesty, and that I find it necessary that I tell my whole life story clear up these inconsistencies. Let's get honest here, Michelle, with someone that I that I can trust so that I can, um, you know, get to that spiritual awakening, find that peace of mind, find that relief of tension so that I can be that expression of God. God can come in. I won't, won't be blocking him any longer, and I can re- live up to the reputation of being that child of God being the person God wants me to be. So, yes, I had a lot of inconsistency uh, that I was living, and it took humility, it took honesty. And step five is the action I needed to take to, to, move, me, to move me forward in the direction of, um, you know, the removal of that obsession. 
and to, to be the person God wanted me to be. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Rose. This is Sylvia. Rose, and then I believe I heard Sylvia. Go ahead, Rose. Correct. Thank you, Leah. Uh, this is Rose, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And um, the whole paragraph um, I'd like to speak to, but I really want to speak to this one sentence. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. And especially as fast as he can is something that I relate to so strongly that every inconsistency I exhibited, uh, which was made worse by the things I did on my eating sprees, which were, they they almost, in the end, they weren't sprees. They were uh, one, they just followed one after another. And then um, he is revolted. And again, these words are so powerful, and I identify so strongly. I was revolted at my behavior and and all I did prior to um, my recovery was to uh, push them down as fast as I could inside of me um, uh, and the depths that are there, God only knows, and the those depths are the ones that were exposed for me um, during this fifth step. I did hope and pray that the things I had done, nobody would ever find out about. And I did live under constant fear and tension um, that absolutely made for more compulsive overeating and living living in that state. And my own experience um, while writing the fourth step was to really keep on keeping on um, because of, one, the people that had gone before me, and two, what this book had to say with this promise and this light and this hope, which was rekindled in me that maybe I, too, could experience this um, personality change, this transformation of my being, of my whole makeup. And as I did the fifth step, with God present, um, I, I did it by a method where there was a, an empty chair and we lit a candle and and that was um, God being with us while I read all these things that I never believed in my life I would ever have exposed. And without having done that, I would never have been able to receive the recovery that's been given to me. And as far as the as far as being under constant fear and tension, I witness today that um, the tension, for the most part, is gone, and the fear, like the other defects, uh, with the beautiful tenth step that we live that I live in each day, is dealt with on a basis that does not haunt me, that I am never I'm not revolted by. And the inconsistencies I in in uh, observing as I'm talking here, the inconsistencies, um, I, I would like to say don't exist. <laughs> my my life is consistent thanks to God. Um, what I eat daily, 
um, my behavior, my work of the 12 steps is consistent. And this, this is a gift and a grace that had nothing to do with Rose except for the fact I chose to go for this program. So with that, thank you much. I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. And now Sylvia. Hi, this is Sylvia, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in upstate New York, and you can hear me, Leah? Yes. Thank you. Um, so the um, important part of the paragraph, you know, when I first uh, read this uh, early on, I I couldn't understand at first that we were talking about revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers because I'm not an alcoholic. And um, it wasn't until I started on my path to recovery that I now feel how much the binge foods were changing my personality, even before I was identifying my character defects. And I could still feel that now. If I eat certain substances, my brain feels more frantic. Um, I feel more depressed. Sometimes I feel more paranoid. I feel physiologically different. My brain feels different. My body feels different. And so, you know, so that that was part of what was going on even before I discovered uh, about my character defects. And so I definitely was acting out. And um, I would act out in a way that was inappropriate, maybe uh, controlling uh, an event that was not my business to control uh, having opinions and speaking them, uh, being defensive, a whole lot of things. And what would happen, whereas he says these memories are a nightmare, he trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside of himself. And I couldn't push them far enough inside, but the fact was I felt shame almost all the time. I didn't know it. I didn't know that that feeling was shame I probably thought it was hunger, but it wasn't until uh, um, it, it wasn't until I could do the fifth step and have a recovered sponsor talk to me exactly about these character defects and start working on changing those defects that I didn't have to live a life of shame over my own behavior. And when it says he's under constant fear and tension. You know, it's constant fear and tension that you're going to see how awful a person I am, how inappropriately I behaved in all these different areas. You know, that's just the that that behavioral part. That's also, you know, all the other things that I thought made me less than everyone else. And it says that makes for more drinking. Well, for me, it absolutely kept me in the food. I felt so bad, so I mean, and and presently, constantly bad about myself, so shamed that all I could do was medicate. That was it. I I had no other alternatives. And when I did my fifth step and I had a recovery sponsor talk me through it, we looked at the defects, and and she didn't have shame. She was like, oh, yeah, you know, usually match and raise you. Um, It was the first time ever that my obsession for food could be lifted. It was up to me to keep doing the work to keep it lifted. But I experienced, which is what they promise in this step. And with that, I pass. Thanks for, for listening. Bye. Thank you. 
Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm a compulsive reader. Amy, go ahead. Thank you. Morning, everybody. Um, what I notice in this paragraph is um, what sounds like to me, you know, my reading of this is um, a reiteration of the the cycle of insanity of the addiction. And <clears throat> excuse me, the big book has pointed out this cycle in the previous. I was, previous parts, I wish I had a page reference for you, but what I see here is this cycle of dishonesty with myself um, that uh, about these episodes. Um, don't want to acknowledge it to myself, so I push these memories far inside myself, these things that I've done, be them episodes with food or episodes in terms of how I treat people um, or have treated people in the past. So I want to push that down too leading to the fear and tension, which then inevitably leads me, leads me back to the food, which leads me back to further dishonesty. So in my interpretation of this, what I see is this emphasis on dishonesty echoing the beginning of Chapter 5, that rigorous honesty is really the only thing that's going to be able to get us through um, into a recovered state. And also um, very explicitly in this paragraph and saying that it's by being honest with others and really putting our our stuff out there so we don't have to repress it so we don't have to, or so we don't have to push it down so we don't have to experience the fear and tension so we don't have to eat that this this honesty with another person is really such a key point in the recovery process so we no longer have to engage in this cycle of insanity it's another way for us to break up this this cycle, because I, I find in my in my experience, I can enter this cycle of insanity at any point, whether it's from the perspective of you know this this ongoing fear and tension from memories that have been pushed far inside of me, or whether it's um, not knowing or refusing to admit that I have an allergy of the body um, <clears throat> that that pushes that I react differently. I have this allergy that phenomenon that, that kicks in when I eat certain foods or eat in certain ways. Um, but I, I appreciate this reminder, again, of this cycle of, of insanity that can lead me back to doing what I was doing before because truly I have done this. This is without question. This paragraph is the way I've lived my life. Um, and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to have it spelled out here for me again. I'll have. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Well, my name is Leigh I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'll make a couple quick comments here. Um, you know, the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Again, the big book is reiterating uh, what it has been speaking about in the previous paragraph about leading a double life, that we present certain masks, uh, certain facades to the outside world, and yet, you know, how do we behave? In this case, coming to his sprees, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. You know, how are we behaving under the influence, or how are we behaving 
you know, uh, in our private spaces, you know, under our own roofs, you know, uh, many of us, you know, might be um, uh, presenting a smiling, you know, friendly exterior, and then, uh, you know, perhaps with those we're closest to, we are touchy or we're obstinate or angry or maybe we uh, have a dark cloud over our heads and stomp around in silent scorn. You know, perhaps we're irresponsible or we uh, are very depressed. You know, we we have a victim mentality. This is an inconsistency uh, with what we're presenting to the outside world. These are the masks. This is the... Uh, this this is the fraud that we present. You know, we're trying to maintain, uh, you know, the appearance of being high-functioning when in the reality, um, you know, the disease has us by our throats and, uh, you know, dragging us around uh, in in fast progression for many of us. It says here... These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. Um, you know, and we're tormented, tormented by our behavior, tormented by our memories, these unresolved conflicts that continue to worsen as the, degree, as the disease progressed. Um, every facet of our lives deteriorates in the progression of the illness. There is not one area of our lives that's not, uh, not touched and not diminished by disease. So we're tormented by these memories, uh, by these unresolved conflicts, these fears, the guilt begins to build up, the remorse continues to haunt us. Uh, as you can see why, uh, the constant fear and tension makes for more drinking. It compels us to continue to try to seek oblivion. You know, we have this anxious apartness. We're tortured by this loneliness. Um, you know, step five is going to come along, and uh, it's the beginning of a process of living a life of humility and integrity um, and credibility. You know, I mean, uh, imagine a house that's been shut up for years. You know, there's a blanket of dust that builds up over the furniture. There's signs of decay. You know, there's cobwebs. There, it's stale and stuffy, and, uh, you know, the odor is certainly not pleasant. It's been shut off from any light. There's mildew and mold growing in all its crevices. Along comes step five. Step five is an emergence out of that kind of uh, darkness. You know, when we admit the nature of our wrongs to God and to ourselves and another human being, we're opening the doors and the windows of our lives and we're starting to display our true selves. The rays of light can burst in through these windows and doors and, you know, a change can begin. A transformation begins, that mysterious barrier, uh, this, um, you know, self-centered behavior that's blocked a, a partnership and a relationship with God and with other people can start to fall away. And we can bask, begin to bask in the sunlight of our higher power spirit. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. 
Good morning. This is Katie, recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I think, you know, this paragraph is trying to, it's sort of a warning. Like if you, um, you know, it says as far as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. Well, if you've already done your fourth step, they have seen the light of day. You know what you have done. You have admitted to yourself what you've done, and now it's time to admit to yourself, to another human being, and to God what you've done. And, you know, this is why they say that, you know, your your eating and your drinking is ruined once you have been introduced to this uh, program because you can't just go off and have a binge and and feel good anymore. It's no longer... Um, a relief because you are looking at yourself. So this is um, an ominous warning to to keep moving forward because going backwards is really ugly. Uh, doing those things now that you're conscious, even if you're drinking, if you do those things once you're you've been introduced to this program, it is not the same. It is not the same as when you had no idea that there was recovery out there. So there, um, you know, he's just saying that, you know, you can try to run and you can try to hide, but it's not going to work anymore. Um, And that's the great news is that, you know, we're not sharing this with a psychologist and uh, with your doctor and with your, you know, you don't have to share it with a rabbi or a priest. You're sharing it with your sponsor who has done the same or similar things. And that relief of sharing with people who understand and who can say, yes, I've done that or I've done something worse or I got close to doing that is so entirely different than, um, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve and telling anybody who will listen the crap that you've done. You know, we don't have to do that today. This is an anonymous program. I don't have to share my deep, dark secrets with every person on the planet. I share it with God and another human being, and that's it. And now I can wake up. I don't have to go on sprees to bury the memories of the horrible things that I've done because I've been relieved of uh, the guilt of them. And you can't buy that. You cannot buy that. You cannot, uh, there's no high that can replace that feeling. And you never, ever have to go back and repeat those patterns again. Uh, When these things come up, we um, nip them in the bud now. So this uh, paragraph is saying, you know, that's what you can do. You you don't want to go forward with this fifth step. Well, here you go. You can go on a spree, you can keep repeating this stuff over and over again, ad nauseum, or you can move forward. But that'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Let's move on to the next paragraph with Fran, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have been given doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth. 
nor have we followed their advice. I'm willing to be honest with these sympathetic men. We were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. Uh, With uh, compulsive overeating, um, if we don't tell the doctor the whole story uh, about our um, allergy to sugar or to whatever your substances that your trick foods, um, they don't know the whole picture and they might give you the wrong advice or, you know, a psychologist, if they don't know your whole story, they have to know the whole history in order to be able to help us. And if we can't be honest, then they can't help us. So, um, it's, it, it is a small wonder why the medical profession has a low opinion of compulsive overeaters. They have to, to know our story and, um, for them to be able to give us the the wisdom that we need to get the help we need, but the best help is the step of the twelve steps where someone understands the disease and um, further back it talks about um, where we couldn't get help in any other way. We could get help with someone who could identify with uh, the disease aspect of compulsive overeating, and we could get better. The only way we wouldn't be able to get better is if we weren't able to be honest. So honesty is a requirement here, and um, and to pick someone that we can trust to uh, depend on for our help with the fifth step. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sally. Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. It's Sally, recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. Uh, When I read this, psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. Right away, my mind goes back to the year 2008 when I uh, convinced a group of neurospecialists that I should be tested I just look back and think, oh, my gosh, how insane was that, that I had them do this battery of tests to figure out what is wrong with me. Never did we discuss the obesity that I was in the midst of. Never did they ask me about, have you had a roller coaster ride with food that you have gained 100, lost 100, gained 100, and now you're in the process of gaining some more? Never was this discussed and it goes on to say, we know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. You know, and I look at that and I think of my doctor who told me to get the duct tape and put the duct tape on my mouth and stop eating and not getting the surgery to, to close your stomach. And I think, would they have taken me seriously? I mean, if I had come and I had said I had an alcoholic problem, they would have at least taken a second look. But if I had said to them what was staring them in the face, that I was getting obese-er every time I visited these doctors, they wouldn't have listened. They weren't listening. For some reason, it's almost like it's socially acceptable to gain 25 to 30 pounds a year. Um, You know, I've got a couple of great excuses. I'm in my 50s. I mean, what can I do about it? But, you know, as I read this chapter and we move on, we have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men we were honest with no one else including me small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics with their chance for recovery and 
you know, as I look at this and I look at the professionals, I'm, I have to tell you, I, I recommend we all go back to page 29, the very last sentence, because I think it's really the heart of the matter of being honest. Very end of this page 29, it says, we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too. I must have this thing. And what it says to me is, and it's true for so many of us, as we discuss what happened, as we talk about our fourth step inventory, and as we review our conduct in the food we ourselves, our eyes open up wide and we, we are finally saying to ourselves, oh my goodness, do you hear how insane you have been? Because it's in the process of saying it out loud to someone else. It's, I've heard this said, verbal expression deepens impression. As the words come out of my mouth, my two ears hear my story. They hear my history. They hear my eating conduct. They hear my fourth step. And I get honest with me. And that is a very important place for me to go. Thanks for letting me share, Leah. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Star one to unmute. This is Sharon. Sharon, go ahead. Hi, Leah. Thank you. This is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be on the line this morning. When I look at this paragraph, and we have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Now, certainly, I could never follow their advice because if they told me to go and stop eating, I couldn't stop eating. And that became very evident. Uh, my experience was I I had, um, uh, I fit into the seldom part because I had tried, I didn't, I wasn't completely honest, but I was honest to some degree. I was honest enough to let my doctor know at the time that I, I just couldn't stop eating sugar. And, and, uh, but really my doctor didn't know what to do about that except to tell me that I was like an alcoholic with, but using sugar instead. And she was able to distinguish that. I thought when I look back on it, I think she was brilliant, except she didn't know about OA. She didn't know about alcoholism. I mean, that there was a way for me to uh, be treated and that the medical profession in itself could not help me. Finally, uh, and I say this not, I, I, I continued to tell doctors uh, after I'd been going for a while, I could never be honest uh, right away, but after they'd worked with me for a while, I would say, you know, I'm having a hard time because it just seems that I can't stop eating sugar. And finally, after many years, I, I landed on a, a, a uh, 
someone in the medical profession. She was actually a homeopath, but just a very, very successful one. It was a huge practice here in the cities. And finally, after a number of years, she said to me, she said, you know, I found a group of women who have the same problem that you have with sugar. If I found the information about them, would you be willing to go? And at that point, I said, sure, I'll do anything because I was so miserable. And and I went, and that was my first introduction to OA. I didn't, I wasn't aware of OA. And, and it really, you know, as someone else was saying back on, on that page 29, and it says that uh, unless we reveal that ourselves and unless we start talking and fully disclosing ourselves and our problems many many people won't get help and because we have been secretive with our doctors we haven't told the whole truth there are people who suffer I mean this was from the time that I first told my doctor of my problem with sugar to the time I had to leave the doctor the doctors couldn't help me because they would they would give me a cure or something they thought was helping me, and then I'd be back in the food, and the problem would come back again with a vengeance. And I tell you, my doctor, that first doctor was so frustrated with me. She just could not, you, you know, I was just in and out of the hospital, uh, just back and forth, back and forth. She was so frustrated with me. She could tell me that I was like an alcoholic, but she couldn't help me. And I ended up just stopped. I couldn't even go to regular doctors, and so I went to the alternative medicine route. And finally, this person, I I actually believe, I don't know this for a fact, but I believe she went and started talking to other people about this person who just can't seem to get who was always sick and always going back into the sugar and eating and making herself sick and and I ended up with asthma and all sorts of other medical problems and and but what I believe is that we have to be honest as a community of recovering people with our doctors so that other people so that they get educated about this disease of compulsive overeating and we keep talking about wanting them to know more, but they won't know it as long as we think it's such a secret and we're so ashamed of it. But it's a disease, and people need to know about it so that other people can be helped. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, Leah, this is Penny C. from Massachusetts, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I heard Chaya, who needs to speak up, and then Penny C. Sorry, thanks, Leah. Hi, everyone. This is Chaya, Recovered Compulsive Eater and Bulimic in Dallas, Texas. I want to welcome all the new people. Don't panic. This is uh, Chapter 6, Step 5. There were five chapters before and some other stuff, and and, uh, four steps before here. So um, psychologists are inclined to agree with us in, in the description that they've been giving, right, that 
you know, the inconsistency is made worse, that more than people we lead a double life. This is what they're, they're agreeing. And, um, you know, what I'm noticing here in this paragraph is they're building up, right? They, they've done this several times in the book already, building up the, the problem before they give us the solution to the problem, right? So they did it with describing the, the disease, the physical allergy. They did it with the, the mental obsession. They did it with God, you know, what's the problem with not having a relationship with God and then the, the solution of, of having one. And now, you know, they're painting a picture of what it's like to live a secret life, to live this double life, to then go on sprees and not even know what happened. Of course, they're describing alcoholism, but I'll tell you, you can be in a blackout, in a food blackout as well. Um, or the behavior with the remorse of, of having, you know, just eaten everything and having to cover it up or, or not being able to fit into clothes and having to show up to an event, you know, with the seams busting out or smelling because you just vomited in a bathroom and, and, and you're trying to hide that. Um, th this is the, the, the picture they're painting and the psychologists, the professionals that many of us have gone to, you know, how can they help us if we aren't able to be honest and and but but we just got honest right in step four so they're describing what happens when you we got honest with ourselves in terms of looking at things we we're willing to do that because we made a decision in step three so here we are and they're saying even the professionals can't help us small wonder they, they don't have a very high opinion of us right because they they, they have they try to help and we're not honest Right, we we say we're we're following the program, whatever they whatever they're asking us to do, and we're not following it. And I, I lived that life, even trying. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so they're painting a picture, and we're about to launch. And I think this morning we'll get there into describing. You know, what happens um, when we are honest? But when we're not honest, how can anybody help us? Um, unf unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else either. And um, this program, we, we is asking for rigorous honesty, obviously at whatever level we're at. Um, so the, the, the good news is, and they, they did warn us that, um, you know, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome eating. So they're letting us know that. They're painting the, the ugly picture of keeping it a secret. And, um, and then we'll start to explain um, why it's so important to to be honest with another person, and um, whether it's your sponsor or someone else. So, I uh, the good news is that when you're recovered um, and you have a relationship with the professionals, whether for your own uh, growth, because we do utilize them, uh, or we have pamphlets, you know, letting them know, and the best. The best um, advertisement, so to speak, or promotion, or lack of promotion of of Overeaters Anonymous is being a recovered person. And just like Dr. Silkworth said, you know, in in in, in doctor's opinion, he he said, "Oh my God, you know, the same person that came in, you know, a year before that that couldn't even crawl out of bed is he? I know, I know him, but he looks so different, right? That's the best, the best." Um, attraction and, and showing them that, yes, we are capable of being honest uh, through, through this process. So thanks for letting me share, and I want to welcome anyone who's new. Stick around. Thanks. Thank you, Chaya. Penny C., please. Penny C., star one to unmute. Oh, 
I was I was unmuting. I think I missed your calling on me. Sorry about that, Leia. Thank you. Um, I'm Penny C, a compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts, and uh, my what this these uh, paragraphs were saying to me. I had just covered a lot of what I was going to say because having worked in the medical profession and hearing so many doctors who tell me that obesity is the most difficult condition they have ever tried to to um, to treat that that you know there just doesn't seem to be one way of of getting you know if you have diabetes they can they can prescribe insulin and exercise and a food plan but with um obesity so many doctors all all they have at their disposal is you know let's send you to a nutritionist and and once in a while maybe to a psychologist and it's so difficult to find nutritionists and psychologists and other doctors who understand, really understand, compulsive overeating. And so what it said to me is, you know, it's up to me, not just us as compulsive overeaters, but me as a recovered compulsive overeater, to educate the healthcare profession and offer, even offer uh, my my services, my my ability to talk to others. A case in point is I've known a doctor for eight, 16 years, I guess it is, and my oncologist, I, I had a checkup with her after several years, but she knows my history. She knows she's got all the records here of, you know, when I weighed, you know, 75 pounds more and, and we've talked in the past about how that happened, that I re- was able to recover. And yet, when I told her I had decided to um, eliminate artificial sweetness, she said, oh, well, why don't you just use sugar? There's only 10 calories a teaspoon. She doesn't understand. And sometimes I wonder if somebody who's not a compulsive overeater can ever understand for sure. And so bringing the pamphlets and, and talking to our doctors about it is wonderful and being a being uh you know being credible in in our recovery, however, I think what I need to do, and this is saying to me right this minute, what I need to do is get in touch with my doctor, my primary, and saying, you know if you have anybody that's uh, a compulsive overeater that you're having difficulty with in in the with obesity, you know you can have them call me. And um, I need I need to do that. That's what the steps are telling me. The the twelfth step, you know, the 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 fifth tradition. That the primary purpose of these groups is to carry the message. And I see more and more as we're reading these paragraphs that that's what I can do. That's the message that I'm getting right now. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else? like to comment on this paragraph. This is Sandra from Florida. I'd like to share. Go right ahead. I'm Sandra D. from uh, Florida, uh, southwest Florida, and uh, I want to say good morning to everyone, and I am a compulsive overeater. Um, I've been listening to what has been said about the doctors, and most doctors that I have come in contact with seem to be 
completely ignorant of this whole whole situation. I've been fighting compulsive overeating all of my life. I didn't know that it was a disease. I just thought it was some sort of a lack in me that I couldn't control. And I remember when I was 11 years old, my mother took me to the doctor and said, you know, it was one of those family doctors, and Dr. Gardner was his name, and he said, uh, well, when she gets older, you know, and it becomes important to date and things like that, she'll lose the weight. Well, I never did. And that's basically the entire attitude of every doctor I've ever gone to. It's almost as if I'd gone to someone, um, any profession, and said, look, I've got a weight problem. That's how, how ignorant I believe they have been, and it's because of that poor training. Now I'm there, uh, lack of knowledge, and so I was given diet pills over the years. I was given all kinds of diets. No understanding, because they had no understanding. And um, not until now, it's 2013, has it been declared, I believe, that obesity is a national problem. Maybe doctors will become more informed about this entire disease. Um, I went to my doctor, uh, my new doctor, when I first, after I'd moved down here in Florida, and she was tremendously overweight, and I happened to have a packet and this is available, I know, through OA. Many of you know about it, I'm sure. It's called the Physician's Packet. It's the packet that you carry to your physician, and that's supposed to give him or her all kinds of information. And I carried it for my own sake because I wanted her to know, but I also gave it to her hoping that it might help her. And she did get on a weight problem, on a weight program, not OA, that she uh, and she has lost a lot of weight in the same program that I had lost a lot of weight in. But anyway, um, this is something that doctors may, need to be informed of. They need to hear this from the patients so that they possibly will understand. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sandra. Anyone else? Lisa? Lisa, go ahead. Hi, this is Lisa from Colorado. Um, when I'm looking at the psychologist aspect and, and the preceding paragraph where the inconsistency is made by worse the things he does on his sprees, is I would go into psychologists and talk about my husband and all his problems, and I wasn't being honest about my own emotional sprees and all the things that I was doing that was harming him and my family, and it's only through this process that I can be totally honest and that's where I, I had many, many therapists, and I think they were very puzzled by me because I would appear to be okay, but I wasn't telling them about all the emotional sprees I was going um, through uh, throughout the week. And uh, a lot of times that there would be, you know, there would be a kind of a weird energy at the end where they were just puzzled by me because they didn't, they they, they never really figured me out because I wasn't ever totally honest with them. I was um, pointing fingers at every, <clears throat> excuse me, at everybody else, saying if if they changed, I'd be happy, and and I had no idea about because I hadn't been through this process about how the food was affecting my emotional sprees and how dairy or certain trigger foods was affecting me emotionally. So it's only by really doing the steps and seeing who I was through the. Um, the honesty in the daily tenth step and saying, "Wow, you know that that uh, that emotional spree that I went through that might have had something to do with something I ate or um, 
and, and it's only getting down to the nuts and bolts through this process and being honest with somebody else, having that transparency. Because when me and my husband would come into a therapy situation and I'd present myself as the angel one and he was the Darth Vader person, I mean, how, how could they figure that out? There was no, there was no possible way, if if I was constantly lying to myself, that I could be truthful with somebody else. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you very much, and thank you to everyone this morning. We're now out of time. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close the, with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Sharon, will you please read a vision for you? Good morning. Yes, I will. A vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.